Okay, hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... I'm Candice Lepage. So Candice, I had a pretty good week because uh, there were a couple of things on my Beat Goes On wish list that came in. Ooh. So, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Good old, good old... Uh dvds or are they blu-rays i uh, know they're dvds actually oh, oh yeah i still i still do dvd uh yeah no as do i i only i i recently got a, a blu-ray player because i purchased an expensive uh monkeys complete everything set last year that's on blu-ray only and i was like okay now i own it and now i want to watch it so i better do something about that the the monkeys from like the 60s the band yes yes yeah the band so the entire tv show plus any sort of television specials they did plus uh-huh. some like con- live concert footage plus the the actual like feature film that was shown on movie screens as written by jack nicholson called head mm-hmm. plus all sorts of stuff like their you know return like their mtv spots from 1986 when they were doing their 20th anniversary tour wow yeah they're by the way they're like my favorite band so well i would certainly hope so buying (laughs) blu-ray box sets it literally cost me almost 400 (laughs) dollars okay and i couldn't even play it but i wanted it all right well this opens up many questions but we have a show to do (laughs) End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new, very Monkeys-adjacent meta-slasher sequel, Scream 6, which you can see at a theater near you. Um, but for The, first the Monkeys half- were very meta. Oh, that's fair. Uh- <laughs> they got there first in the 60s. Uh, for the first half of the show... Uh, I guess in part to pay tribute to the Scream franchise, uh, which is inspired by slasher films, predominantly in the 80s. We have a setup. If you liked our Spielbeeras draft, uh, we have done an eight. We're, we're now going to about to do an 80s horror movie draft. So movies released between January 1st, 1980 and December 31st, 1989. So none of this cheating nonsense that, well, frankly, both I and Candace are capable of cheating. But um, between those two goalposts. It's just, it's just understanding yeah. the rules and knowing how to bend them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that holds up in court. Um, so 80s horror movies. We have four categories. Franchise, fantasy, creature feature, and a wild card. So wild card is anything. Um, the rules are each player chooses their category and then chooses their movie. No doubles. So if Candace picks something, I can't pick it and vice versa. And by the end of this, we have hopefully, well, not hopefully, we will have four unique 80s horror playlists that uh, maybe you could check out at home, uh, depending on your streaming availability and how much you want to maybe rent things on Apple TV or whatever. But anyway, let's get right into it. Candice, we are clear about the rules? Yes. Okay. 
So uh, I will be gracious and let you choose the first category and the movie you want to choose for that category. Okay. I'm going to do something very bizarre, but it's because <laughs> I feel certain that you're going to have this movie on your list. And I and I think I know which one, <clears throat> which category you'll have it under. Okay. But I don't want to use it there, but I got to have it. So I'm choosing the wild card first thing. Okay. Uh, and I'm I'm saying the thing. Okay. okay. Because anybody who ever listens to the show and hears me talk about horror movies knows that I love this movie. It is a perfect movie. Five stars. No notes. Everything is perfect. Everybody should see it. The story is great. The acting is great. The special effects are great. Everything about this movie is absolutely perfect and is like my second favorite horror film of all time, basically, after Black Christmas. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, every time we get things about, uh, you know, what's the best Carpenter movie? I'm like, well, it's obviously the thing. <laughs> but if we take the thing out, then we can actually have a discussion because with the thing there, there's no discussion. Like, it's just that's the end of the story. And then we stop at what could be an interesting, you know, conversation. So mm. we always have to do the, like, let's pretend the thing doesn't exist. But absolutely my top movie of the 80s period i just kurt russell is just everything mm -hmm. keith david mm -hmm. richard masseur wilford brimley like it's just everything is great adrian <laughs> barbeau as a nasty computer <laughs> <laughs> um, there you go i've used my wild card i'm now bound to now I'm stuck with just the the specific things, and I'll have to just make do if you choose one of my other <laughs> choices. Well, if if this were to uh, fall under a, a proper category, what would 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 you call it a creature feature, or would you a, call a it creature fantasy? feature? Yeah. Okay, okay. I think yeah. fantasy horror would count too, but that's true. That's true. I think probably most people think of it sort of as a creature feature or like a sci-fi. I kind of assume your fantasy horror is kind of like a fantasy sci-fi mm -hmm. thing but well you forced me you forced me to take another carpenter off the table <laughs> and it is under the fantasy category i'm going with the fog mm, yes which uh if you've just seen the fog remake uh it's it, it's butchery um but uh <laughs> 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 the original fog is so great it takes place in this little uh coastal community um it has kind of the feeling of a zombie movie but um well you're not really sure what the creatures are, are they ghosts are they sort of like the 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 supernatural pirates from like the pirates of the caribbean movie or like what the deal is all you need to know is that a hundred years before the start of the movie a shipwreck happened on the coast it was uh lepers and the town founders let all the people on this ship die while also stealing their treasures uh in order to stop the lepers from setting up a, a colony for themselves nearby a hundred years later the ghosts or spirits of of the shipwreckers come back and attack the town and it is a great cast um this is, seems to be where, you know, Carpenter's time to shine, putting um, people together. 
So we get Adrian Barbeau, who uh, was also an escape from New York. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in this one as kind of a hitchhiker, um, picked up by Tom Atkins. And of course, the the sexual musk of Tom Atkins is is so pervasive. Um, (laughs) It's just a great 80s horror presence, Tom Atkins. Yeah, Janet Lee as well. And uh, Hal Holbrook as a as a priest, um, he's you know kind of kind of odd to see you know stately actor Hal Hal Holbrook in a Carpenter movie, but it's also great. But it, it's great fun. Uh, the 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 effects are great, like the fog and the the the, the sailors, the the ghosts or spirits of the sailors. It's it's all such great effect. It's a lot of obviously a lot of practical effects, but boy, is it also a lot of fun. Um, it's just you know a great kind of i don't know what you would if, if it's like a throwback like it's almost kind of like a throwback to like 60s english hammer horror but it's mm-hmm. also got it's also got great carpenter vibes to it because of all these um people who are carpenter adjacent so i'm taking the fog under fantasy so excellent uh, choice mhm <laughs> so uh i'm interested to see where candace goes next with her draft here. okay um, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the creature feature. Okay. Uh, just because uh, you brought up Tom Atkins, and so um, mm-hmm. I I want to uh, counter Atkins' uh, sexual musk <laughs> with a uh, surprising uh, uh, horror movie daddy from the '80s that I did not see coming, and that's Robert Forster in mm-hmm. Alligator. Nice. Which is something I had never seen before. I only watched it last fall during my my 100 days of uh, horror movies sort of challenge. Mm-hmm. And I I am just I'm sort of floored by this film. I'm like, why does nobody talk about this? Why is this not like way up there when people are talking about films of the 80s and and creature features? Mm-hmm. Um I mean, Robert Forster is in it. Uh, the other thing, too, I think people don't think about Robert Forster as sort of a, I mean, creature feature. It's Some people don't even think of it as horror, but he's not really seen as a horror actor. He's sort of seen as like a crime, you know, mm-hmm. thriller sort of guy, which to be fair, he is playing a cop in this. So he kind of fits <laughs> right, right in there. But um, <clears throat> this is also, it's uh, directed and written by people who, make great movies too so the director lewis teague mm-hmm. and uh writer um john sales so uh i i may or may not be um also just <laughs> taking a, another movie here but uh they're both from uh cujo as well which is also mm-hmm. just like this sort of perfectly crafted timed movie so alligator i, I mean it just takes that ridiculous like uh you know urban urban legend everybody has about an alligator getting dropped down, you know, flushed down the toilet and ends up in the sewer system of, you know, a big city, whatever. I mm-hmm. think they're in New Jersey, actually, not not New York, but New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But it ends up in the sewer <laughs> system and then grows and becomes this giant creature that has to, like, kill a bunch of people because that's just what creatures do and creature features. Robert Forster is there looking so incredibly handsome and, like... 80s jeans and that that sweatshirt that every single one of our dads had in the 80s and he's got his gun holster over it and he's so in charge and as usual like with every 80s film there is a young ish woman you know Mm -hmm. 
10 or 15 years younger than Robert Forster, who is the scientist who is really into like alligators. And in fact, it's actually her alligator that she flushed down the toilet way back in, you know, when she was a child because she got it at a roadside zoo and her parents told her it had died and flushed it down the toilet. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, have have uh, sexual relations. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, you know, the Tom Atkins, every time it happened, it would always seem like, what what is going on? What is happening? Like, why mm-hmm. why is he getting all this all this booty from these women? For and it's immediate. Reason, it's immediate. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> this really worked. Robert Forrester and uh, I think Robin Riker is the name of the the actress who played the the younger woman. Mm-hmm. It just fit. It was great. It didn't feel creepy in the least. Um, there's also this amazing scene with um, I think Henry Silva is the guy who plays him. This. Uh, older guy who's a like a safari hunter mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me who's there to capture the alligator and he has just I mean, he's hilarious on screen he's such a trope and then of course he has a great death scene because everybody dies in these creature features it's mm-hmm. no surprise yep. So, yep alligator everybody more people should know about this movie uh and it's on shutter too mm-hmm. i just looked that up so it's easy to find um I'm going to go and take my franchise pick off the table, uh, and uh, this was tough. This is a tough one, honestly. And uh, I was just thinking about, you know, which franchise sequel kind of takes it to the next level, takes the concept to the next level, and kind of finds that like sort of screams like scream is kind of unique in that like story elements carry over from one to the other to the other to the other even though we're like in a world with like totally new people which we will discuss with when we when we get to scream six but you know it was a thing in the 80s it was just like we have a movie killed off most of the people maybe there was a survivor but you know what they went off and had a good life probably we're gonna move on to the next group of people but in Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors, mm-hmm. we come back around to Nancy, Nancy Thompson, who has not only escaped the Kruger clutches, she has come back and has educated herself to teach others how they can also escape the Kruger clutches. And this goes deeper into the whole idea of like the dreams and being able to fight back in your dreams. Uh, since it's a dream world, reality doesn't matter. So you can have superpowers in your dream world. And Nancy is, you know, teaching the kids, uh, leading the way. And then um, also we get deeper into the Freddy mythology. Where did Freddy come from? Um, why is he as bad as he is? And there's all that that real world element as well about who his mother is and and his, her origins and his origins. And so it really adds a lot to the mythology of the series and um, also brings back, uh, oh, I forget his name, the father. What's his name? Saxon. Yes. Daddy John Saxon. Daddy John Saxon. Thank you. Um, So it it, it is, it's an interesting um, entry that uh does new things with the friend of course Wes Craven co-wrote it so and I believe he was a co-producer as well so you know it's interesting when you bring back the the man who started it all he brings in some new ideas some new takes 
and and really repackages it and relaunches it. So that's my choice for yeah. franchise. So yes, uh, yes. I, so unsurprisingly, it was also my choice, my first choice for for franchise. But uh, I did run the risk. I was like, mm, Adam might get there first. So, but I I do agree, and I think you know uh, most of the lore mm-hmm. that people associate with Freddy Krueger really mm-hmm. actually comes from episode three it does indeed dream warriors yeah so yep um i will stick with franchise though and go with with my my next pick which uh i i just i think is an incredible franchise it doesn't get enough um people don't don't understand as much as they should Mm -hmm. and that's slumber party massacre part Mm -hmm. two which is definitely the best the better of the of parts one and two i will admit i've never seen number three because it's not streaming anywhere um and it's it's difficult to purchase um but slumber party massacre part two is great so it um similar to to dream warriors it does actually sort of follow and and like scream it follows the younger sister Mm -hmm. of the the woman who you know the teen girl who was the sort of the final girl of the first slumber party massacre mm-hmm. and this one i think I, I think the reason why i love it is because it it takes metaphor and goes you know we could be a little more on the nose with this we could be a little more obvious <laughs> and the the killer the driller killer in this <laughs> this particular version of the franchise is this red leather clad like rockabilly electric guitar playing mm-hmm. singer mm-hmm. and it's just like if you if you describe to someone sort of you know in the 50s 60s 70s like what what do you think rock and roll looks like <laughs> you would describe this guy with his his guitar that he's using to kill people the first one was a little bit more um like about misogyny and about a man who is you know penetrating women this is very much like women are succumbing to sex drugs and rock and roll and it's it's a disaster and what's great about the slumber party massacre movies is that they're actually written and directed by women Mm -hmm. so despite the fact that they were still you know being created in this 80s place and still had to conform to you know there's like there's a pillow fight and there's sort of ridiculous you know there's some gratuitous nudity and or just you know male gaze kind of stuff going on it's still a real sort of indictment of what women have to go through just to exist right they're just they're growing up and everybody wants to keep them like kept away from all of this stuff and oh here's the big bad sex drugs and rock and roll that's gonna kill all of you mm-hmm. um all the characters in this film are part of a, a band together and so i think that's part of the reason why it's the you know the the driller <laughs> killer is is a rock and roll singer mm-hmm. um but it's just it's so much fun there's musical numbers basically in this a few of them because they as the band Mm-hmm. play a couple of their songs and it's just this incredible jangle pop sound which <laughs> i just love from the the mid 80s that sort of bangles kind of sound mm-hmm. um and then you get some extended <laughs> music scenes with the driller killer chasing the women um also uh 
I don't know if it's her first performance, but it's a very early performance by Crystal Bernard of uh, Wings fame. <laughs> it's great. The 80s, honestly, the 80s had some of the best actors in, in these horror films because they were pumping them out so much. People were looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. A lot of these actors are sort of like, they you know maybe want to move past that, like Patricia Arquette, who was not really interested in coming back for another one. I don't know if Crystal Bernard ever really did another horror movie, but well, she had it, wings. She didn't need anything else. It's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I'm going to go with my creature feature. Uh, you took the thing, which leaves me with, uh, I, I feel like this needs to be on the board somewhere. Chud cannibalistic Ooh. humanoid underground dwellers. Uh, there's something so procedural about this uh, movie. It's it's kind of weird. It's it's a, a bit like Law and Order creature uh, division, but uh, you have a photographer, you have uh, homelessness activists, and some of this is like still kind of spot on. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, you have a police officer who uh, his wife was taken by a chud, uh, although he's he has correctly uh, not acknowledged this is just as we, people know his wife's gone, but he uh, is clearly aware that there's some skullduggery going on. Uh, you also get uh, this anti-government veneer because the, the chuds were created by illegal dumping by the nuclear regulatory commission. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, all of these forces sort of come together to uh, uncover the mystery of the Chud, or in some cases, uh, vis-a-vis the government, uh, cover up the Chud agenda. And uh, yeah, great actors too in this. You have like Daniel Stern, John Hurd, John Goodman. Uh, you know, this is a murderous row cast brought together for a movie called Chud. <laughs> and uh, very underrated. I think Chud is... Um, because- I can't remember where somebody's called it talking about being called Chud. Oh, I think it's Clerks. Um, one of the characters talks about being called a hideous Chud, or I think it's it's kind of been rooted in that. Uh, this was kind of just like another stupid, silly '80s uh, movie with like prosthetic monsters that look fake, and you know what, kind of. But at the same time, there's a lot going on this about you know sort of. Uh, homelessness and people on the the outskirts people who are in, you know are in trouble but because of who they are they're ignored um this you know photographer played by john hurd he's like struggling with his girlfriend who's pregnant and he doesn't want to be tied down and all this stuff about she's a model and what this is going to do to their careers and Ah, oh, and then yeah, you can't trust the government because uh, you know you turn your back and boom, they're chuds. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's a fun little movie, and it, I think it's probably a bit smarter than people give it credit for. So that's that's my my where I'm going with creature feature. So yeah. uh, if I'm looking at my list correctly, this leaves fantasy for you. Sure does. Sure does. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, um, fantasy. I am going with uh, Phantasm Two, mm-hmm. which uh, just sort of squeaks in. It came out in 1988, so it's definitely sort of in the the latter half of the 80s. Um, interestingly, it's you know 10 years after the first film came out in the 70s. So it is really interesting to look at these two films side by side because they are mm-hmm. very different from each other. 
mm -hmm. other thing being that Phantasm 2 had a lot of studio money behind it. And then on the other side, also a little studio interference, you may say. Um, <laughs> well, you can't have Cos one without the other. Yeah, yeah. Don Coscarelli is is the uh, creator of the Phantasm series. And like a few other series, he's been sort of in charge of it the whole time. Every Phantasm film has been written and directed by Don Coscarelli and also has um, uh, had the same uh, tall man, um, mm -hmm. Angus Scrim. Uh, mm -hmm. As well as some of the other characters, like Reggie Bannister is is in all of them, that sort of thing. This it really you know continues along this thing, which is great. Um, interestingly, with this one, Phantasm Two is the one where the other main character of mm -hmm. Mike, the young boy who is sort of like the main guy in the first Phantasm, is actually he is recast for this film with James Legrosse, and this is part of the studio interference where they needed. You know, they wanted a real actor because um, famously, Fant the original Phantasm was just, they just kind of made a movie together. None of them were really actors. They didn't really know what they were doing. It took years for the film to be filmed and then to come out. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, in a lot of ways, what's really great about Phantasm 2 is that it did bring this this one little weird cult film from the 70s that suddenly gave it all this life. That mm -hmm. people saw Phantasm 2, I saw it. That was the first Phantasm film I saw, which was number two. And I got really into the series. Um, it It's a weird... <laughs> it's a weird concept. Because the tall man is presumably like an alien or from another dimension. Mm -hmm. And we never really understand that. And we also don't really understand what he's doing, but... He he comes to us here on Earth, on our Earth, and needs dead bodies so that he can compress them into these little Jawas mm -hmm. who then do work for him, including getting more dead bodies. It sort of seems like a make-work project. Like, I don't know if he's part of a pyramid scheme or something, yep. where he's got to turn two and then they turn two more and everything, <laughs> but... It's a, so, it's a Tupperware party for cadavers. Yeah. 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 But it has this weird, like, it it is such a, a bizarre sort of dreamlike quality to these movies. Um, and I think that <laughs> Phantasm 2 is, is, you can almost see it straining against itself where it's trying to figure out, like, how do we make a, a real movie with a real story while also keeping all of... Like Don Coscarelli is like, no, this is what it's all about. But somehow <laughs> it creates this even like more bizarre, beautiful little jewel in in the whole sort of phantasm mm -hmm. like run. Mm -hmm. Um and yeah, like I said, it it was the first one for a lot of people. And people who kind of were like, What is happening here? This is so bizarre, then get to go on to see all these other movies that are even more bizarre. And and it's just it's great. It's like a canvas that you can put your own explanation onto. Is it about Lovecraftian horrors? Is it about aliens? Is it about grief? Is it about like death? Who knows what it's about? Yeah, when I think about like a lot of these franchise movies now that like over-explain things and like go into this like minutiae detail and somebody stands there and it's like they're reading off place cards filled <laughs> with the Wikipedia description of the film. I think about Phantasm. Uh, and I mean, I mean, Phantasm One, where yeah. uh, you know people are just like wandering around, and ooh, there's a silver ball that's flying after them, and it has a knife in it, 
and uh, here's this tall guy, and you know, people just keep dying. And everyone's like, "Well, that's life here in our town, whatever." Yeah, and uh, yeah, these films—they're all just—they're all just venues for Angus Grimm to say "boy," and for the that's spheres, right. and yeah. for Reggie Bannister to to get laid. That's yep, yep. That's what these movies are about. <laughs> that's all they're about. Um, for my wild card, which is my last pick. Uh, I'm doing this purely, well, maybe not purely, uh, but in part to queue up Scream 6, uh, Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh, one of the best horror movie posters ever produced, um, especially when you realize uh, in the 88, 89-minute movie, uh, 60 minutes go by before you actually get to New York. And then when you get to New York, there's actually precious little taking of New York. But having said that, um, I think that's part of the fun in this. I think there's purely kind of tongue in cheek where they came up with the title and then worked backwards. I mean, you have stuff in this where the the ship uh, that they sail from Crystal Lake, uh, question mark, to New York um, (laughs) is called the SS Lazarus. Um, (laughs) It's, you know, somebody knew what they were doing. And then... um, it's shot in Vancouver, so you see the famous Crystal Lake Mountains, and, uh, and then they get to New York, and it's very clearly not New York. And except for two minutes, there's two minutes where they actually saved all their pennies and went to Times Square, and they, they boy, do they like use every every last bit of film that they shot in Times Square. Because the two, the final two people, they emerge from the subway. They're in Times Square. They're looking around, and then Jason comes up, and he's walking, chasing them. He's he's chasing them through Times Square, and then he passes a bunch of street toughs who hassle him. And then uh, Jason lifts his mask and shows them what he looks like underneath before kicking over their boombox. It's a perfect '80s moment, and uh, it deserves to be celebrated. So, before we get into Scream Six, which I've I've Having read some reviews, I know a lot of people have issues with it being, you know, filmed in Montreal. <laughs> but uh, Vancouver looks nothing like New York, and it's just it's fascinating that they tried to get away with it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then had two minutes in in Times Square, CD Times CD pre Giuliani Times Square. It's fun. All right, uh, so let's recap the list here. Uh, on Candace's list, under Franchise, there's Slumber Party Massacre Part 2. Under Fantasy, there's Phantasm 2. Under Creature Feature, there's Alligator. And then her wild card was The Thing. For me, I went with Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors for Franchise, The Fog for Fantasy, Chud for Creature, and Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan for the wild card. Is Scream a wild card, or is it? an ace in the hole or some other poker metaphor that i'm just pulling out of thin air we will find out after we take a break you are listening to end credits here on cfru 93.3 fm cfru.ca guelph campus and community radio she comes for the dying she comes for the living
had this secret. There's a darkness inside of me. It followed me here. And it's gonna keep coming for us. <laughs> we share a certain history. This isn't like any other ghost face. What is this place? A shrine. We've got to lure him in. We execute him. Hello? Let's play a game. You know you're like the tenth guy to try this, right? Maybe. But there's never been one like me, Gail. Okay, so that was a clip from Scream 6. It's the new film from directors Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillette, aka Radio Silence, and it stars Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, Roger L. Jackson, Dermot Mulrooney, Hayden Panettiere, and Courtney Cox. Uh we just had a discussion in the break about uh, handling the spoiler situation, so we're gonna we're gonna do a spoiler segment. Uh, we will let you know when that begins, but we will have pre-spoiler thoughts, or I guess general non-spoilery thoughts. Anyway, Candace, Scream Six, mm-hmm. uh, is it an A or an A plus? <laughs> <laughs> so those are my choices. No, um, I'm just. just I mean, joking. so uh, I mean, I, I, I. I joke because obviously any Scream movie is going to be better than a lot of other movies. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, it's difficult to talk about Scream movies and like say you were disappointed by it because usually it's like, I was disappointed by it as compared to other Scream movies, but also mm. it's way better than all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So my, my very, like my quick thing with Scream 6 is that it, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. By the end of the movie, I was like, that was that was a damn lot of fun. But it was no Scream 5. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really, really impressed by Scream 5. Uh, I thought that they did, like, Scream 5 did, like, a really, like, inventive sort of thing. They really kind of turned a lot of the tropes on their head and gave us stuff that was unexpected. Whereas Scream 6, sort of like, okay. All right, mm-hmm. we're going we're going that way. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit too bad because it really started. I mean, mm. it's hard. Like how this is the thing. We all know what happens with with the screen movies. We get a cold open where a person who is not a main character gets killed. Um but it's played by someone pretty well known. Yeah, exactly, right? Drew Barrymore, Jada Pinkett Smith, um Liev. Oh, right. Cotton Weary. That was sort of that, you know, for Scream 3, that was a little bit of a a change. And then, of course, Scream 4, they did the weird, like, meta. They just kept watching the movie over and over again because of all the stabs. And, of course, with Scream 5, it was interesting because it actually was one of the main characters and the person didn't die. And so we Mm -hmm. get back to Scream 6. It's like, okay, uh, Samara Weaving. This is great Mm -hmm. casting. Obviously, she's the final girl in so many horror films. But Mm -hmm. in the same way, it's kind of like, eh, it's too bad because we do know, like, we know what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was really interesting because after she was killed, the the ghost face took his mask off. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. we Mm -hmm. are going to try something different. Oh, this is this is great. Like we did Scream 5 and we were able to really kind of make things a little bit different. And now we're doing Scream 6 and we're like in a whole other whole other place and then after that it stopped being about that (laughs) and became very much like okay all right this is actually we are just hitting the beats Mm -hmm. which is fine that's what i mean like there's nothing 
like a scream movie that delivers exactly what scream sets up as their sort of the way that they tell their stories mm-hmm. if it hits all of that and the characters are fun and the music's good and the action is great then it's a good movie so it was mm-hmm. a good movie it just you know it's not it's not better than scream 5 or some other screams in the in the series <laughs> I think Scream's age, and I was listening to some other reviews, and, and you know, people have rehabilitated Scream 3, because I know a lot of people hated Scream 3 when it came out. I I've, am a huge Scream 3 apologist. At the time, that was actually my favorite mm. of the, the, actually, it probably still is my favorite of all of the not Scream. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. You 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 were the contrarian in that point of view, and I I, th- I think there was a lot of that in Scream Four too, if I remember correctly. A lot of people mm-hmm. didn't were not on board with Scream Four when it came out, so I think the Scream movies have to age. Having said that, I think you're right. It starts off very very strong. I don't typically you know no wardrobe choices, but you know Samara Weaving's wearing this like yellow highlighter colored dress with silver heels, and I thought, you know what, it looks awful, but it's working. Um, <laughs> I thought it looked great, not awful at all. Uh, I thought it was like, oh, she really likes this guy. And people have have commented about how, like, she's a professor of horror movies. Why mm-hmm. is she doing all the things mm-hmm. that are wrong? And I go, yeah, but look at the way she's dressed for this, like, first meeting with this guy. And she was, she was really into this guy. Mm-hmm. So, Well, this is the thing is, I think stuff like that, it's like nobody thinks they're in a horror movie. I mean, nobody's in real life. Nobody's in a horror movie, but nobody's like very few people. Have you looked around at the world? I'm sorry. We are all in a horror movie. Well, maybe (laughs) when you put it that way, but I just, sorry sorry for the nihilism. (laughs) Nobody thinks, you know, when when, nobody thinks about if they're in a, find themselves in a dangerous situation. I mean, this is why so many people get ripped off um, with like various scams. It's, it's not because people aren't smart. It's because nobody thinks that they're, they are going to get ripped off, but leaving that aside, um yeah you're right about the the cold open you're right about like a lot of the familiar beats it was it's it's a lot of fun it's it's so much fun i like a lot of these characters um i think there's part of this and i do wonder how much of this is like art imitating life imitating art imitating life because this comes out almost 14 months after the last scream and i i grant you there was like pandemic delays and things like that um before the last scream came out but this comes out almost immediately it has that feeling of like in 1996 when like <laughs> they throw kevin williams in a room and harvey weinstein holds a gun on him until he finishes a script um <laughs> not real yeah. but not really but almost um it's set in college like scream 2 set in college uh the reveal of the killers are have obvious analogies uh to to scream to as well um it it just feels like we know what you're expecting and we're going to give it to you while also doing kind of some subversive things and i think this is where like radio silence is kind of walking a very thin line and obviously i can expand when we're talking about spoilers but this is the move like this is the move. This is the last time they get to do some of this stuff with the movie, with the, the Scream franchise. And if they're going to be on and doing a Scream Seven, uh, they're going to have to really innovate next time because uh, I think the whiplash effect. If they come back, kind of doing some of the things halfway that they were doing with this, um, 
there, there's going to be some real pushback from the fans because we do expect like some some kind of innovation and the three movies have mm-hmm. kind of done that um to an extent i mean scream 2 falls a lot of the same beats but it's bigger it's got more cameos it's got more references scream 3 because it has one killer instead of multiple killers and because it was supposed to be the end of a trilogy scream 4 because it's borrowing from all it, it comes at the tail end of all the remake madness in the in the aughts um and then you get scream 5 and it's coming in at this moment of elevated horror and and um legacy sequels and all that so they they've managed to ride ride the wave um but the, to continue the surfing metaphor they're in danger of wiping out <laughs> yeah yeah i i would agree like i think i think the watchability of this movie is mostly based around um these characters that we like mm-hmm. and this um sort of uh I, i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna say this unique setting but mm-hmm. then i'm also going to counter that i'm kind of i'm really annoyed by everybody be like oh this is the first scream movie not set in woodsboro i'm like did you watch scream 2 or scream 3 that's right because neither of those were set in woodsboro like one was in hollywood like that mm-hmm. was the whole story was the fact that they were filming a movie in hollywood and they were like there was whatever. a woodsboro set though okay sure okay (laughs) and then the second one they're at college and they weren't at college they weren't at like state college in the state that they were from they went all the way across the like all like they're in east coast college and Mm -hmm. woodsboro is a west coast like california city Mm -hmm. like just because in number four and number five we went back to woodsboro doesn't mean that they've all been set there um so I I refuse to play the like this is the first time it's not set in Woodsboro because mm. it isn't but it is an interesting place to set a horror movie New York mm-hmm. City is typically like in the 80s and it's funny because we didn't really do uh we didn't talk a lot about you know how many movies are filmed in New York City and are like it was so gritty and dirty and basically in New York City in the 80s People were living in horror movies, no matter what. Yeah, like everywhere yeah. you turned, it was it was bad. So even in comedies like Night Court, which is set yeah. in New York in the eighties, like <laughs> it really sells the idea that this is like a place where, you know, you walk down the street five blocks and you will get jumped by somebody every time you cross a new block. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I would say like really the only time they really were able to sort of get that feel in this movie mm. was during the convenience store scene. Mm-hmm. Um, though during the subway scene, it was a little tense during the subway scene. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was more just based on the, you're just surrounded by people, but mm-hmm. you're alone, mm-hmm. which I think was, was really nicely done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, otherwise it was just <laughs> also, it was, it was clearly Montreal. It was <laughs> so clearly Montreal that they were in. Like I could recognize certain things, and then of course, as I was telling you after we saw the film, the uh, the credits. I'm just looking at the credit names, going, "Oh yeah, this is a uh, this is these are all French Canadian names. Everybody mm-hmm. here on the crew clearly mm-hmm. we're in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Montreal's where you go when you want to do New York, but you can't afford New York, and you don't want to do Toronto because there's streetcar tracks everywhere, and everyone will know that it's not New York. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> like Montreal is movie fake New York. Toronto is TV show fake New York. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's 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 a real thing. But anyway, yeah, I I find that kind of. I mean, obviously, because there are a lot of film critics who are either from New York or have been based in New York at one time or another. Or like, you know, it's not really New York, and I I can tell. And it's like the subway, the lights on the subway don't flicker anymore. That's so 1980s. It's like it's not the point. They're they're establishing a mood. Yeah. Um I, I did find that as I'm as I'm watching that scene, I was like, man, I've been on a lot of subways in New York and in Montreal and mm-hmm. in other places. Mm-hmm. And boy, it doesn't get dark like that. Yeah. It's it's about establishing a mood. It, it's about playing into like an image. Um it's about, you know what this the, these movies are essentially about like what's fantasy what's reality what's like art imitating life and, and that kind of thing but so i'm I, I was perfectly happy to go along with it um you're, you're right though this is a movie that's kind of built around the sequences so you get the the opening sequence you get that bodega sequence you get the subway sequence there's also the really great sequence where they're trying to escape on a ladder like i don't know where the mm-hmm. boyfriend like he has like a 14 foot ladder in his apartment uh, uh question mark? clearly look look at how handsome that man is and he's living in new york he's clearly a contractor he's a uh, handsome man i will concede yes he's a good so, looking guy a, a a handsome um uh latin man so yeah with know, an accent yeah yeah tropey trope trope he's obviously a contractor <laughs> or works you know works construction uh but he's in an apartment maybe he doesn't have a truck he's got a bring his stuff up to his or who knows maybe he was painting but yes he has a a very very extended <laughs> extendable <laughs> ladder yeah 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 all right let's get into spoilers before we run out of time so if you do not want to know what happens in scream six turn your radio off but turn it back on at at four o'clock um <laughs> <laughs> uh so spoilers starting right now uh I I didn't I appreciate that you know there were contractual and money issues for Nev Campbell. I we didn't need Nev Campbell. No disrespect to fa- the most famous Guelph fight of all, Nev Campbell. Um, but I I don't think we needed her here. Courtney Cox coming back. I'm fine with Courtney Cox. She had to die. I'm sorry. Like not Courtney Cox yeah. obviously, but Gail Weathers had to die. Yeah. The the whole movie I was just like there. It I yeah I was watching the movie going. They have written themselves into a corner because they have made all of these characters too lovable and they're not going to kill anybody. Yeah, they're which wearing then, plot of course, armor. Yeah, which then just leaves it to the only people who can be the killers are the ones who are not the core four plus the mm-hmm. legacy characters. Like, mm-hmm. they they can't do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh, I was completely... Dis- I mean... Again, not disappointed per se. Like I'm not a I'm not a crazy person with bloodlust, but you know, for for Chad to <laughs> for Chad to make it to the end credits was that guy. I don't I don't like. First of all, <laughs> how does he not have a limp? Period. From his first like Scream yeah. Six, like he had some very serious yeah injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, he's just you know he's he's a big strong guy who's got zero problems i'm like listen he walked it off he walked it off yeah dewey had a limp and and uh like arm problems that switched sides by between movies because he kept getting stabbed all the time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and 
these kids, not only that, not only do they not have any lasting impact from their incredible traumatic damage that happened to them in in Scream 6 or Scream 5, within this movie, Mm -hmm. they're fine. Mindy gets stabbed. Yeah. And then is just fine and walking around. And same thing with, um, uh, gosh, uh, not Sam, but... uh, Tara. Tara, who like falls from a balcony into a knife mm-hmm. in she her gut. It she walked yeah, it there's like she's not even getting any there's no paramedics even like attending to her. What is happening? Yeah, yeah. It's there's definitely some like live uh what what was that fourth die hard uh live free and die hard free where, and die hard. Or he like you know Bruce Bird John McClane's jumping off jet planes and just tucks and rolls and he's fine. Um yeah, there's there's definitely some of that. The other thing that irks me, um, in terms of like they have to they have to pick a direction. Sam either has to love killing, or I don't or I don't know what the alternative is. But it's you know at the end where she takes, um, the Billy Loomis mask and she has it under her jacket and she takes it out. Uh no, she either has to take the mask and leave the scene with it, or she leaves it inside. You, you you cannot. I'm gonna t- I'm gonna sneak the I'm gonna sneak my dad's serial killer mask out, and then I'm gonna. Oh wait, maybe I don't want it after all, and then leave it on the ground. No, 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 mas. <laughs> it's she's either learning to love it or she's not, and you it it you can't r- like ride the line this hard going into the next one. Like the next one's gonna be the got to be the decider. She's either gonna go full blown Dexter, or she's. I mean, maybe this is what they're planning if they're planning anything at all. Maybe it is like a thing where she goes in, uh, like in part three, where Sydney's living alone in the middle of nowhere. Just like I'm not going to kill anyone anymore. I'm going to live alone, so I'm not even tempted. Like maybe that's the way to go. But like this whole idea is like she's conflicted. She's not conflicted. She wants to kill. Maybe she doesn't want to kill. She sees Skeet Ulrich. No, she doesn't. It's it's they've got to pick a lane. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been rewatching the original, so I've watched Scream 1, 2, and 3 in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. And, like, they... Sydney has killed so many ghost faces. Mm-hmm. And you can see, you know, every time you can see the effect it has on her. And it's not that she likes killing, but she is not afraid to kill. Mm-hmm. And, and is proactive about it, right? Like, that's the whole thing. She's just like no, like, I'm okay with shooting you square in the head, even though you look dead already. And I've come to grips with that. And she even talks about that in Scream 5 about, you know, Sam asks if she's going to be okay. And Sydney's like, eventually, but like, you have to, you have to work this into your psyche somehow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're really not dealing with that at all with Sam. It's just like, and the thing is, like Tara, I think Tara as a character has grown a lot and done a lot of stuff, right? And mm-hmm. she is now, I mean, she was a fighter to begin with too, I think, but you know, she's more like Sydney to me, where she's just like, no, I know who I am. I know that they are bad and I have zero problem taking mm-hmm. them out. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I want to kill. <laughs> it's entirely about survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just they they're really unsure about how they want to 
approach Sam. Like, I mean, again, the, the idea of Sam is interesting, and I just wish they would like. It would have been really interesting if she's like she opens her coat, the mask is there, and she just quietly closes her coat and then walks away. And then because mm-hmm. now you're thinking about, oh my god, what's going on in her head? It really like leaves you something, but for it, it just it seems so wishy washy, which is I think part of the problem with this is that they're trying to leave their options open, and yeah. as a consequence, they end up doing nothing. So Kirby lives, Gale lives. Yeah. Everybody yeah. lives. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about Kirby for a second. Okay. Why was she here? Like she did she did nothing. Hashtag justice for Kirby. That's yeah, why. she did nothing. Um, I think that her character was was not Kirby, not remotely. Not only that, what who who was in charge of Hayden Panettiere's wig and makeup? Because I have never seen anybody look less like themselves mm-hmm. than like Jennifer Gray. <laughs> like I just kept looking, going, are we are we sure we hired Hayden Panettiere for this role? Because it kind of looks like her. The voice matches, but mm. I'm having a hard time placing anything else here. Yeah, it it just she was, she was done dirty. Yeah, but I mean that that's the thing is like it's one of these legacy sequel things where we do things in the name of fan service, and a lot of you know people were mad that. Kirby got killed off in part four. It's like, oh no, surprise, she's alive. And um that's that's how we that's how we do these things. It, it's just, you know, I I wish I wish they had done a bit more with her. And maybe if, you know, um they had killed Gail off or not had Gail in this. And you know, I I think they I think it was trying to do a lot. And it was trying to do these like and again, they were trying to keep their options open. And the the great thing about the original screams was that Wes knew when somebody was done and you know you go back and watch scream 2 and Randy gets killed that was impressive that was yeah. a real because because Randy was the big character from the first screen he was like the 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 sort of like the emerging character and Wes is like no this is his time and he's out and yeah but in some ways I feel mm-hmm. like while they did that in scream 2 and it was great mm-hmm. they have paid the price and been trying to fix it ever since right because he he keeps coming back as a character and they keep not killing the fan favorites right right and so it's just like look it was actually good and you have to just you have to like do this once in a while and we still came back for number three and some of us actually kind of found it unnecessary for you to like throw in this. I mean, I loved it at the time because I was mm-hmm. a big Jamie Kennedy fan. But now when I'm rewatching it, I'm like, this is so unnecessary. And mm-hmm. then now we have Martha. And again, great. I love that, you know, she shows up every once in a while. But it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. They took it. They took a risk and it paid off. And then they've been paying the price ever since. They've been afraid to do it again. Yeah. Yeah, that's about the long and the short of it. And speaking of being cut short, that's the end of our show. So weird place to leave it, but that's okay. If you want to listen to their show again, you can find it on our website at ngradsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Wednesday, or excuse me, every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. 
And speaking of Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on end credits. Just open up Spotify and search for end credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Candace, where can people find you out there on the internet? Mm-hmm. You can find me everywhere on the internet at Sin Forty Eight C I N N Four Eight, where I've been, yeah, tweeting every day about the new Scream movie I'm watching today and which character I love. Wow. Well, uh, that was more than a five or six day project. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I will be back here speaking of other projects on CFRU Thursday at 5pm for news and politics and open sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz in the meantime I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson or you can go to my political site guelphpolitico.ca and you can stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph Campus and Community Radio we shall be back next Wednesday at 3pm for even more end credits and we will of course see you then.